Welcome to another edition of The Walk. I'm Richard Price. You may know me from Twitter, Richard P. 1975. If you don't know me from Twitter, then <clears throat> that's sort of impressive in a way, because I'm not sure how anybody else would be getting to hear about these these podcasts, but I suppose some people can come across them at random on the internet, or maybe somebody's told them. Anyway, follow me on Twitter if you don't already, Richard P. 1975. As I say, I'm Richard Price, this is The Walk, episode 3. Um, I'm walking to work. It's a very fine morning, after what was an extremely rainy night. Woke up in the night a couple of times and looked out of the window to see the rain hammering down. So everything's sort of wet this morning, but you know it's late September, the trees are still green and um, it's sunny, wispy white clouds in the sky. I'm not sure what the weather forecast says it's going to do later. I'm one of those people who don't really take much notice of the weather. I mean, I take notice of the weather as it actually is. It's raining right, I'll put a coat on, but I'm not very good at sort of looking at the forecast and giving a shit as to what may or may not happen later on. I find invariably it's wrong. I live in one of those areas where they kind of forecast around it, but they never actually seem to give us much of a forecast for the for the town, or sorry, the city that I live in um, itself. So... That can be a bit annoying, because obviously you're not really getting a true a true forecast. And I mean, I hate talking about the weather, so I'm not really sure why I've kicked off with that. I'm going to stop talking about the weather now. Um, onto the busier road, so you'll hear a lot more traffic. I'll try and speak up a bit. Um, just on the school run. Lots of yummy mummies this morning. Um, you know, they're nice looking girls, some of them, well, I'd say girls, I mean, probably mid to late 20s to early 30s. Um, you know, some of them catch the eye. It wouldn't be yummy mummies if they didn't. Um, but they all seem to sort of fit the same bill. I mean, I don't really know whether they're getting advice off each other or whether they're just copying each other or reading some magazine or Yummy Mummy Weekly or something, but I mean, they all look the bloody same. They all dress the bloody same. And, you know, it's sort of amusing in a way because I get the feeling they all kind of think they're a little bit of a cut above. But how can you be a cut above if you look and, you know, sound the same as everybody else? Um, I mean, I'll give you the sort of look I'm talking about. They've got sort of you know, nice, tidy hair, not wonderfully fashionable. I have, I guess they have to be a bit functional if they're mummies. They can't be spending hours and hours on their hair. So it tends to be a nice, tidy bob or something like that. Um, they're quite attractive. They've put a bit of makeup on. Um, I guess they're probably more likely to buy their makeup from Clinique rather than Avon. Um, you know, they've usually got... I don't even like saying this word, but I'm going to say it because I believe it's officially what they're called. They usually have jeggings on. Um, see the disdain with which I said that word then. 
or hear the disdain. Jeggings, like, ugh. Anyway, that's what they're wearing. Um, Ugg boots. The least said about those, the better. Um, you know, they're right up there for me with, with flip-flops, um, Crocs, you know, those kind of abhorrent footwear choices. Ugg boots. Um, you know, you see people wearing them all year round. You think, how on earth can you, you know, wear those in the summer? I mean, they look pretty warm to me. Got like a sheepskin lining, I believe. But anyway, they're wearing Ugg boots. And they walk around as if they're the only person to own a pair of Ugg boots. And they're thinking, well, there are five of the women in the queue behind you with them on. Um, and the one thing that probably I notice more than ever, any other item of clothing on these women, they often wear hoodies. Um, you know, because that's fashionable, I guess. I've got one on at the moment, actually. I'm in that sort of period where it's not quite warm enough just to wear a t-shirt to walk to work. Um, but it's not really coat weather. So I've got a hoodie on, but I have to admit I'm a bit hot. Um, I'm common. Mine's a Nike hoodie. But these, these um, yummy mummies, they'll be wearing Jack Wills or Abercrombie and Fitch. As if, again we should be somehow um, massively impressed with this. Especially Abercrombie and Fitch. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, you can't get it over here. Oh, you can only get it in the States. Well, apart from the fact that I'm sure you can get it on the bloody internet, and that's pretty much how most people would buy such items of clothing, I imagine. Um, Abercrombie and Fitch. It's kind of... Well... If you really are trying to tell me that you can't get it over here, then why is it that every other um, woman I see taking her kid to work, um, is, well, taking her kid to school, is, is wearing an Abercrombie and Fitch hoodie or t-shirt? You know, it kind of flies against the, the accepted wisdom, really, that you're in some way wearing something exclusive. And as for Jack Will's stuff, I'm not really sure how this shit took off, really. I mean, I've written an article on Sabotage Times, um, which lists things I I don't like. And one of the things that I mentioned on there was um, the Jack, Jack Will's clothing. I mean, to me, it looks like my old PE kit from sort of 20 years ago, which, you know, has been washed too many times. And yet somehow these people are having this shit sold to them at sort of premium prices and told that it's that it's fashionable. Um, I've got a mate actually who wears crew clothing as well, which to me is the same crap but nautical um, in style. And you know he sort of takes the piss out of Jack Wales. I'm thinking, well, that crew stuff you've got on is just the bloody same, really. It's boaty. And... Um, you know, we don't live anywhere near the bloody sea, so I'm not entirely sure who they're trying to attract. I can imagine it if you lived in a nice um, sea port or whatever. I'm rambling now, but you can see what I'm saying. Um, okay. Oh, one, one other thing about these um, yummy mummies that I probably feel the need to point out is that... Um, They've usually got those highly fashionable, but um, it's questionable how practical they really are. Um, Three-wheeled 
buggies. You know the type I mean. Just pause there for a second while I cross the very busy road. Um, anyway, yes, I was saying, um, Yummy Mummies with their three-wheeled buggies. Could be a, be a song title, couldn't it? Um, don't worry, Daniel, I'm not going to sing another song and send it to you like I did before. I think I see the error of my, my ways there. Um, so... There we go, that's my yummy mummy rant for the for the morning. Um, you know, these are nice women. You know, they're not chavs, they're kind of fairly nice um, middle class ladies. And, um, you know, they could, they could benefit from 10 minutes of my time. But, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. Okay. Next thing, Labour Party. Okay, I've just lost some listeners there because lots of people don't like politics. But I'm going to go with it anyway because it's one of the subjects that I do delve into from time to time. I'm not afraid of the, the big issues. Um, I'm not afraid of the big issue either, but you know, that's got nothing to do with, with this. Um... Right, the Labour Party conference started yesterday, and it sort of kicks off in earnest today. Um, I'll come straight out and say this, because I think it, it's helpful to get some context. I used to be a member of the Labour Party from 1996, which those of you that know your history rather recent history, admittedly, we'll know that that was the, the year before um, Labour swept to power um, under Tony Blair. And I was very enthused by, by what was going on. Just um, coming up to my last year at university and, you know, never never liked the Tories. I've always been brought up to to hate the Tories. And um, it was a natural thing for me to try and get involved in the Labour Party. Well, it was for me anyway. Um, but I left the Labour Party very disillusioned um, the year that Blair took us into Iraq. I think it was 2003 he did that. 2004... I resigned, unable to take it anymore. Um, but I rejoined. I rejoined after the last general election because I saw this coalition government get into power, and I, I didn't like it, and I felt like doing <coughs> doing something. And the only thing I could really think of of doing was um, rejoining the Labour Party and as it happened I did so um, just in time for them to change the rules and allow new members or rejoiners to 
have a vote in the in the up and coming in the upcoming leadership elections. So I was pleased to be getting a say in that. But I would honestly say that it wasn't the main reason that I rejoined. Um, so I cast my vote, and I have to be honest, I, I cast my vote for um, for David Miliband. So I was a bit disappointed when Ed won, but I was all sort of ready to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and get behind him and hopefully let him prove me wrong and all those others that didn't vote for him. But he hasn't done that really hasn't done that and I've become well very disillusioned over the last year um, with, with Ed Miliband and, and the Labour Party you know I see this government doing what it's doing and I hate it but I haven't seen enough from the opposition I just, well I've barely seen anything from them if, if I'm honest and Ed Miliband has been a huge disappointment for me. A complete damp squib of a, of a leader of the opposition. And, well, I haven't resigned from the party this time, but I've lapsed. I can't even be bothered to resign. I've lapsed. I don't pay my subs. I haven't paid my subs for, for, for months and months. I think under the old Labour Party rules, I would have been struck off as a member by now as you know a lapsed non-paying member therefore I'm no longer a member but I still keep getting letters from them saying you know dear member please restart your direct debit and I think probably what's happened is they've changed the rules in order to class people like me who haven't paid for god knows how long as, as members still so it's when people can look at them and say you know, what are your membership figures? Um, they're going to be higher than than the actual truth of the matter. Because how anybody could class me as a member of the Labour Party when I've not been involved in the party for, for, for well, for a long time and not paid my dues for getting on for eight or nine months, you know, you'd have to say... I've pretty much washed my hands of them, and yet they're still classing me as a member, which is odd. But anyway, eventually they'll go away, I think. Now, you know, I don't like this government, and I'm not going to suggest that I wouldn't rather Labour were in power, because of course I would rather they were in power. But the thing that sort of jumped to people's attention yesterday was Ed Miliband announcing that under Labour tuition fees would be capped at £6,000 um, a year. Now of course this is better than the current £9,000 a year which the Tories and the Liberals, Liberal Democrats have increased um, the fees too since they came to power. Um, you know, so they're equally to blame for what we've got because they didn't end tuition fees, which is a policy 
by the way, that Labour brought in, so I don't think they can be smug on this issue at all. But, um, of course, the Liberal Democrats fought on a platform to basically abolish um, such fees. And not only have they not done that, but now they're in government, they've actually helped the Conservative Party raise those fees. So, you know, they've got nothing to be um, smug about either. They should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. But on back onto Labour, because it's their week, um, I cannot believe that we're being expected to applaud this, this, this policy. You know, £6,000 a year. I mean, it's still a, a ridiculous um, policy to be charging that kind of amount in the first place. And as I said before, let's not forget, Labour brought this policy in. And, you know, they can't take any satisfaction from that. And now they're sort of saying, well, no, they should be back down to the £6,000 limit that we set before. Well, okay, yeah. I suppose 3000 a year, 9000 over the course of, of a normal degree is, isn't to be sniffed at. But it's, it's a bit like, to me, somebody saying, I'm going to cut your bollocks off with a machete. That would be the, the coalition government. And then M. Miliband coming along and saying, well... I am going to cut your bollocks off, but I'm going to do it with a, I'm going to do it with a, with a, with a bread knife. And so, that's not going to, that's not going to hurt you quite so much, but of course it is. Uh, there isn't much difference, but yet we're being asked to celebrate this, this change in policy as if it's some sort of huge sea change and it, it just isn't and that's the kind of thing that that i think labor are going to be doing um during this this conference essentially suggesting to people that things will be better under them but really being unable to to change an awful lot and therefore just fiddling around at the edges really so that's something which is getting my goat up and it's something that's likely to to get my goat up for the for the rest of the week as the, as the conference goes on I'm not going to take an awful lot of notice about over it but I know that I'll obviously pick up the headlines and keynote speeches like like everybody else will on the news and in the papers and on the internet so Yes, that's the way I'm going to treat it. I'm, I'm thoroughly disappointed. I don't really feel, and I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat, as though I have anywhere to go, really, politically. Um, who do I vote for? Well, I guess I'll vote Labour, because they're the worst of... Um, they're the, the, the lesser of three evils, but, you know, is that the way I should be choosing who I vote for? Is that how I should be being enthused? Of course it's not. And it's a it's a sad state of affairs really that that's how somebody who's politically motivated as I was 
to get involved in the Labour Party, as I did, um, now feels this way. Okay, on to something a bit more light-hearted. Michael Owen, not the Welsh rugby player, the England, or former England footballer, currently warming the bench of Manchester United. Um, Daniel Rose Tyson has um, mentioned a number of my um, tweets to Michael Owen on his podcast, um, the Daniel Rose Tyson podcast. Um, he thinks I'm. <laughs> he thinks I'm. Um, Amusing in the way that I target Michael with with some of my tweets, and I guess yes, I am trying to do it for for humorous effect. The latest one that I sent him was in response to a tweet he put out yesterday during the um, Queens Park Rangers versus Aston Villa match. Um, Shay Given had just made a very good save and Michael who obviously was watching the game basically put out a tweet that said great save by Shea Given you know for me one of the signings of the summer and I wouldn't disagree with that I think it was a good save and I think also he yes he is one of the signings of the summer but there's no sense of irony there is there when when Michael tweets these things you know, I wrote an article actually about Michael Owen not long after he chose to sign an extended contract with Manchester United. Um, I sent it to Sabotage, but they didn't publish it. So I shall probably at some point put it on my blog should I ever get round to actually completing it. Um, but anyway, one of the, the main points I made is that you know Michael Owen's got absolutely no reason to be sat warming the bench of Manchester United when we all know that a player of his calibre should be playing regular Premier League football for somebody else. We also know that, in fact, a player of his his calibre would, if he was still knocking them in on a regular basis, be a candidate for England. Because let's be honest, you know, if Jermaine Defoe and um, um, Peter Crouch and players like that can can be picked for England as regularly as they have been over the, the last few years when really nobody's ever found somebody to successfully play with Wayne Rooney up front for England um, who's the obvious starter um, and I don't think Darren Bent's particularly the right choice either 
then yes, of course, Rooney could probably be back in the England team if he was playing regularly and well enough. Yet he's chosen to be where he is. I don't think it's about money. I think he's got enough money. I think he can actually earn more elsewhere, to be honest. I don't think United are paying him a huge amount to, to warm their bench. So I, I cannot really understand what his motivation is. I mean, I think he must just be somebody who wants to pick up some trophies towards the end of his career. And yet, really, he'll know in his own heart that when he does pick up those trophies, he'll have played a very small part in the team winning them. And therefore, you know, to me, if that was me, I'd know that I hadn't really played as big a part in, in that as I would have liked. And, you know, they're, they're kind of hollow, really. Um... Anyway, the, the, you know, the point I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to go on to make is that Michael sends a tweet out like that saying, Shea given signing of the summer. And I'm thinking, well, that could have been you, Michael. You know, you could have been signing of the summer for somebody. Um, my own club, Everton, be a good example. Somebody hasn't got a forward pay reasonable wages but really can't afford to pay the, the transfer fees that, that most clubs can and you know it's a big club albeit playing in a decrepit old stadium now um, I don't know I mean that's just an example I mean it doesn't have to be Everton you can think of a whole host of other clubs that could do do worse than, than, than have Michael Owen in the team um, so it, it astounds me really that that he'd sort of stay at a club that plays him for Carling Cup matches and the occasional league game against somebody who they're, you know, expected to turn over easily. Uh, it, it, it sounds to me. And I think, you know, someone like Michael doesn't see the irony in the fact that he's praising Shea Given for being one of the signings of the summer. Shea Given moved from Manchester City, where he was earning a lot of money for warming their bench to Aston Villa, a club where he'll never win anything, in my opinion. He'll be lucky if he gets into the Europa League, let alone the Champions League. And yet he knows he's at a biggish club, earning reasonable money. And the main thing is, is at the kind of age now where all he wants to do is, is, is play regular football. And that's what he's doing. And I just don't see why somebody of, you know, Michael Owen's age is is satisfied with, with just sitting on the bench. Maybe he thinks he's achieved everything he wants to achieve, I don't know. But if that's the case, why doesn't he just retire and um, train his horses or whatever it is he does? Okay, that's the end of, of that. I mean, I'm just coming up to the end of my journey now. There was one other thing I wanted to talk about, actually. Um, it, it's something which, you know, on the whole has been discussed an awful lot by a certain other podcast that most of you will, will know. The Danny Ruiz Tyson podcast, what else would it be? And, in fact, please don't hug me as well. His, his previous podcast, um, when, he, when he actually included um, his co-presenter, Mickey Boyd. And, of course, it's that subject of, of boldness. Now, if I say this, you know, the phrase has been coined by somebody else 
but I'm going to come out and say it anyway. I don't think I'm ever going bald either. You know, I've got a thick sort of head of wavy, if not curly hair, when I let it grow as long as it, it is at the moment. And there's, there's no signs of a, a recession on my forehead or my crown. Um, don't really have baldness in the family. I, I'm not going to be complacent about it, but as it happens at the moment, it doesn't sort of feel as if I'm moving that way you know I'm 36 so I could be easily showing signs of of, of that kind of baldness by now um, so I'm hoping that it's a sign that things are not gonna go awry in in the baldness stakes um, nothing against bald people but it's just something I, I happen to to believe something I was thinking you know is it me, or does baldness tend to come mainly, mainly, with that kind of certain class of of person? You know, they've usually been to a public school, um, you know, fee-paying school. You know, probably had quite floppy, fly-away hair um, at that time. You know, in the way that those those sort of you know, middle class or lower upper class types do. <clears throat> um, and yet they've, they've gone bold quite early, a lot of them in their 20s, um, you know, sort of around the time they've left university and started sort of making, making their way in the world. And... Uh, I guess a lot of them have gone on and, and had good jobs, and they seem to be the sort of, the, you know, the posher types that, that do well and tend to be solicitors or architects or things like that, or doctors and, you know, a whole host of other such professions. And I just wonder whether anybody had ever done a study on the correlation of male pattern baldness with um, rising income. You know, there's a thought. Are you more likely, if you have male pattern baldness, to earn more money? I don't believe it's necessarily going to be that the balder you are, the more you earn. That, I think that would be a, a, an almost ridiculous um, suggestion. But I do have my, my suspicions that um, male pattern baldness correlates with a an above average income. I wonder if anybody's gonna gonna take up that study. I think it would be interesting. I hope somebody does. I think I'll be proven right if they do. Um, and just to bring the whole thing back round to where we started, I've noticed that a lot of the dads that drop their kids off on the school run. Now, you know, I don't necessarily see these dads with the yummy mummies because obviously it's one or the other that's bringing the kids to school, but I've got to assume that in some cases, the dads I'm seeing are the dads of the children that maybe have been dropped off on another occasion by the yummy mummy. So, you know, what I'm sort of suggesting is, is that a lot of these yummy mummies have, have gone for these guys and a lot of them have got male pattern baldness. There we go, I've said that. 
I've noticed that a lot of the dads that, that drop the kids off at school have got male pattern baldness. And it, it's safe to assume that in a lot of cases, the yummy mummies and the guys with the male pattern baldness are in fact married or partners or whatever. And, you know, I noticed, you know, a lot of these yummy mummies there, they're able to sort of carry on the lifestyle they do and look like they do because they've got a few bob. And in many cases, especially because they're pushing three-wheeled push chairs with younger children, children in, as well as the ones they're dropping off at school, you know, one would imagine that they're not working. That just doesn't mean they don't work at all, but one would imagine that at the moment they're not working. And in some cases, they probably aren't working at all because, and we're going back to this, the male um, of the partnership may well be earning enough to support the female and, and therefore necessitate, well, does not necess necessitate her, um, her working. So does this mean that because the man with the male pattern boldness earns more, the lady in question doesn't need to, to go to work to be able to afford the lifestyle that she has? So that might even back up my theory even more. Um, I should add at this point that if it sounds a bit sexist that I'm suggesting that, that men support women um, with their incomes, I'm quite happy to admit on this programme that my wife, whilst I wouldn't use the word support, because we both bring a, a reasonable wage into the home, my wife does earn more than I do. I'm quite happy to make that point um, known. In fact, my wife earns more in the four days that she works than the five days that I work. So there we go. Not ashamed of that. That's great. So anybody suggesting that maybe I'm seeing this in a, in a sort of sexist way is probably not taking into account my own circumstances. So that's out there. It's, it's probably been a bit heavier than I would have imagined today. It's gone that way. A bit more serious, even about some of the more humorous areas. I think I've maybe gone off on a bit of a tangent. So let's hope this, this one worked for you. Let's hope that people still like it. People do seem to have liked the other two shows. We've had a problem with, with hosting. The second show in particular was getting too many daily hits and therefore was basically locked. Um, and I wasn't able to access my account in order to do anything about it. So I'm going to move it. And by the time you listen to this one, you know, you will have hopefully been updated as to where they all are now located so thanks for being a listener, and um, I'm Richard Price, you've been listening to The Walk, look forward to, um, to joining you again, thank you.